Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. Should we do that together? Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. This picture hangs now in our bedroom, and it was painted by a very dear friend of mine called Janet Marker, who some of you know, uh, some of you know of, but others of you have never heard of before. Uh, But you're going to hear a little bit about her tonight. Janet, as I say, was a dear friend of mine, and she died towards the end of last year. Now, hopefully there's a photograph of um, me with Janet about to come on the screen there that was taken at her ordination uh, to the priesthood in July 2007. Janet originally was training to be a doctor, but when she was 20 years old, she was hit with severe rheumatoid arthritis, and she had to give up her hopes and dreams of being a doctor. She came back to Bristol at that stage, and a year or two later started coming to St. Michael's Church. This was in the sort of late 1980s. That was when I met her. And then she was later part of the church plant at Christ the King. And despite being crippled with arthritis and confined to a wheelchair, she developed this most extraordinary gifting for calligraphy and watercolour painting. Well, I lost touch with her for a few years, but met up with her again about 12 years ago when our paths crossed when we were both doing ordination training. And we became close friends. And in fact, it was my privilege to be able to speak at her ordination service this day. What you'd never know looking at that photo is that two days later, Janet was going to be in hospital having major surgery for cancer. And a year later, she developed secondaries in her bones. And over the years that followed, the cancer spread up and down her skeletal system, and her bones started to crumble and, in the end, fracture. I shared many profound moments with Janet over the years, but one of the early ones was when we were in neighbouring rooms at the Easter School for our ordination training in 2003. And the theme of that week was all about death and resurrection. Now, Janet knew, because she knew me and she knew my story, that this picture, which used to hang in her bedroom, and these words would have a special meaning for me, just as they did for her. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. And it's what we're celebrating, isn't it? The passage, you can't see, do come and have a look at it later if you want to, but it's the passage we've just heard from John 20 that's written out in just beautiful calligraphy. So through this last week, we've been hearing and remembering the familiar stories, the events of Easter week that culminated in Jesus giving his life on the cross on Good Friday. And it's not so very difficult for us to imagine something of the sense of devastation and despair that his followers must have felt as they watched those events unraveling. As they watched as the one that they'd grown to love and that they'd given up everything to follow, brutally treated utterly humiliated and hung on the cross to die. As they watched his broken, battered body taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb. What were they to do then? Well, the next day was the Sabbath, a day of rest, so they laid low. They must have been exhausted with grief and shattered with shock, struggling to come to terms with all that had happened. But now we pick up the story in John chapter 20, early on the first day of the week, the Sunday morning, 
and they begin to pick themselves up. Perhaps they think it's better to do something than nothing. So in verse 1 of chapter 20, we find Mary Magdalene going to the tomb. Now, we don't get all the detail in John's gospel, but in the other gospels, we're told that she went there with some of the other women, with spices to anoint Jesus' body. But when she gets there, she finds that the stone's been removed. What's going on? Was this some sort of cruel trick? So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord away, and we don't know where they've put him. I wonder, have you ever wondered why the stone was rolled away? Well, the obvious answer is so that Jesus could come out of the tomb when he was raised from the dead. But actually, I'm not sure that that's the right answer, because later in the passage, we have Jesus coming and appearing through locked doors to the disciples. So presumably, it would have been just as easy for him to have come out of the tomb, even if the stone had still been there. No, it's much more likely that the reason why the stone was rolled away was so that the disciples could go and see for themselves the fact that Jesus was no longer there. So in verse 3, we picked up the story that Peter and the other disciples came. They were running. And uh, the other disciple, who we presume is John, the one that wrote this gospel, although we don't know for sure, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, and he saw the strips lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter comes along. And what does he do? He goes right in, typical Simon, and he sees the strips of linen lying there and the burial cloth folded up by itself and separated from the cloth. That's a bit weird, isn't it? If someone had taken the body, then why did they go to the trouble of unwrapping it first? But to Peter, it didn't look as though the body had been picked up and unwrapped, more that it had simply disappeared, leaving the empty clothes behind. A bit like a collapsed balloon when the air's gone out of it, it goes like that. It's a good sound effect, isn't it? (laughs) You can almost imagine Peter scratching his head and wondering what to make of what he'd seen. And then we read that the other disciple goes in and that he saw and believed. It's like this shaft of understanding dawned on him. Who knows why, but maybe it was seeing the grave clothes reminded him of what had happened to Lazarus when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead just a short time before. Maybe he remembered the words that Jesus had spoken on that occasion, I am the resurrection and the life. But whatever prompted that shaft of understanding, we're told that he believed. He still didn't understand, but he believed. And the events of that first Easter day were set in motion. Now that's the end of scene one. So we move on in verse 10 to scene 2. The disciples went back to their homes, but we're told that Mary lingered at the tomb crying. And as she bent over to take a look inside, there was a surprise for her. Two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. Woman, why are you crying, they said. And this is what she said to them. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. And then she turns around and sees Jesus standing there, but doesn't realize it was him. Now, maybe it was because she was crying. You know, tears kind of blind your eyes, don't they? Maybe that was part of the reason why she didn't recognize him. 
And Jesus asks her the same question that the angels had asked her. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Now Mary, thinking it was the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus just spoke one word, Mary, her name. It was enough. Suddenly she realizes that it is Jesus. And you can just imagine the joy surging up in her spirit. Her dearest friend, the one she'd given her life to, the one who'd given life to her, who'd rescued her from darkness, not dead, but wonderfully alive. Raboni, she responds, teacher. Here he was before her very eyes, the same but different, and kind of offering her a new kind of relationship. So as he spoke these words to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. We might hear them and think that it was some sort of rebuff, but Mary doesn't seem to take it like that. She heard, she, she understood that Jesus had got work for her to do. Go and tell my brothers that I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And I don't know if you've noticed how the language has changed. In John chapter 15, we heard Jesus telling the disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And now it's not just friends. He's talking about them in terms of brothers and sisters. He's talking about God being their God. It's as if what Jesus accomplished on the cross when he died, God reconciling the world to himself, made something really decisive happen in that moment. So Mary goes back to the disciples with this news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them what what he'd said to them. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it, what the rest of the day might have looked like. The questions that were raised, well, what does this mean? Jesus alive? Really? Where is he? And the disciples wouldn't have been the only ones that were wondering that. In Matthew's Gospel, we hear a little bit more detail about the empty tomb, about the guards who were supposed to have been guarding it, being questioned, about the chief priests coming and quizzing them and then bribing them to tell them that the disciples had stolen the body. So it's hardly surprising that we find the disciples trying to keep a low profile. And when the evening comes, they're there together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Scene three of the story. When suddenly Jesus was there in the midst with them, peace be with you, he said. Well, how welcome those words must have been. Given all that had gone on in the last couple of days, I'm sure peace wasn't anything that the disciples had known much of. Jesus shows them his hands and his side. They were overjoyed. Peace be with you, Jesus says. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Was ever a day that looked more different at the end than at the beginning? I don't think so. History turned on that day. We sing the song sometimes, don't we? Happy day. The greatest day in history. Death is beaten. You have rescued me. Shout it out. Jesus is alive. Now, of course, it wasn't the first time that somebody had been raised from the dead. We've already been thinking a little bit about Lazarus. But this is different. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, somebody else had to unwrap the grave clothes. He came back into a world where death was still a present reality, and one day he would die again. 
But when Jesus was raised from the dead, his resurrected body passed through the grave clothes, and Jesus entered a new realm, a realm where death had been defeated, where it had no more power to destroy, a realm where life in all its fullness could become a reality, not just for Jesus, but for all who put their trust in him. Reminded again of those words that Jesus spoke to Martha just before he raised Lazarus from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha. He asks me. He asks you. Well, I do. And so did my friend Janet. And as we stood by her grave at the memorial woodlands, as we watched her beautiful wicker coffin that was covered in flowers being lowered into the ground, these familiar words that I've spoken so often at funerals had new meaning and new impact for me. We have entrusted our sister Janet to God, God's mercy, and now we commit her body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our frail bodies, that they may be conformed to his glorious body, who died, was buried, and rose again for us, to him be glory forever. Amen. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead gives us that sure and certain hope that death, when it comes, is not the end. That our bodies, however frail they are at the end, will be conformed to his glorious body. That death is simply a veil through which we must pass as we move on into glory, as we move into the fullness of God's presence. On Tuesday of this week, I went to a funeral of somebody else at Christ the King, another young woman called Dawn, who herself had suffered for many years of multiple sclerosis, and so badly that in the last couple of years she'd had to be in a nursing home, although she wasn't yet 50. I heard something at the funeral service which I was able to follow up with the person concerned yesterday, and which I've got his permission to share, that was really quite exciting. On the day that Dawn died a couple of weeks ago, her husband Steve called round to see Chris and Louise Pott, good friends of his, in the evening. Now, it happened to be the evening that their life group was on, um, but Chris stayed at home with Steve, and that was when I called round and saw Steve that evening as well. Louise went on to their life group and shared with the people there what had happened. And uh, the the group was meeting at Martin and Penny Allen's house that, that night, And Martin remembered Steve and Dawn. He didn't know them very well, but he remembered them. He could picture them both. So later on, when they were praying together um, and praying for Steve and about this situation, Martin found this vision coming to him of Dawn rising up out of her wheelchair, raising her arms in the air and saying, yes, I'm free. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Yes, I'm free. And this acute emotion came up in him. Now, I mean, that's amazing, isn't it, for Dawn? 
it's amazing for Steve, for those who loved Dawn, to know to have that sort of assurance that this body of hers that had been so frail was finally free. She was healed in God's presence. But actually, it was amazing for Martin as well. Those of you who know Martin will know, and he'd be the first to confess that he's not given to having visions like that. So it's really, really exciting, really exciting. Jesus' resurrection gives us that hope of glory, that promise of freedom for Dawn, for Janet, for all who've died believing in him. But actually, this promise of resurrection and of new life isn't just for what happens when we die. It's for this life too. I love Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1. When he prays for the Ephesian Christians, he prays for us that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened in order that we'll know the hope to which we've been called, the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then Paul goes on to say that this power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And that's a mind-blowing thought, isn't it? To think that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that first Easter day is the power that God gives to us to live and work in and through us. Now, last November, when I was driving home from Janet's funeral, I was reminded of something that had happened in an evening service at Christ the King many, many years ago, kind of 25 years ago, something like that. And we were singing that evening the song, Be Still, for the presence of the Lord is moving in this place. And one of the verses goes like this, Be still, for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. He comes to cleanse and heal, to minister his grace. No work too hard for him. In faith, receive from him. Be still, for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. And as we sang that song that evening, I really sensed that God was speaking to me about Janet. I could see her sitting on the other side of the church in her wheelchair No work too hard for him. Be still, for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. Now, if that happened to me here tonight, I might have the courage and confidence to go and pray. But kind of 25 years ago, it kind of wasn't really something that happened. And and I didn't, but I did really feel that God was speaking to me about Janet that evening. Now, sadly, physical healing wasn't something that came to her in this life. But that doesn't mean that God's power didn't move powerfully in her life, because it absolutely did. So much emotional healing, so much spiritual healing. And Paul, writing to the Philippian Christians, speaks of how he wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Janet shared profoundly in the sufferings of Christ, I think more than anyone else I've ever known. And although her body was broken, her spirit was so alive. And the beauty and glory of the Lord was radiant in her. For weeks after she died, the staff at St. Peter's Hospice were still talking about her. They saw Jesus in her. 
they saw his power at work powerfully in her and through her. And that promise of the power of the risen Lord Jesus is here for us today. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We see signs of the kingdom breaking through in this life, don't we? The testimonies we heard earlier this evening are part of that. Whether it's physical healing, emotional healing, God's provision, we see signs of the kingdom breaking through and that's what God loves. And we want to see more, don't we? We want to see more for ourselves and for each other. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you, Jesus said to his disciples. And he says the same for us today. So how about you? Are you up for being sent to tell the world that Jesus Christ is risen today? Hallelujah. Why don't we stand and why don't we say that together? And let's say it like we really, really believe it. (laughs) So Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. Let's do it once more. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. The band want to go back and get ready to lead us in worship. Let's um, invite the